The Veterans Health Administration recently participated for the first time ever in an annual survey of hospital quality conducted by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. VA did well. The survey is known as the Hospital Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems. I spoke about it with VA's top medical official, Dr. Sharif Elnahal. We started with the fact that this is not a VA survey. It's actually a standard rating that is released every year by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And for the first year ever, VA medical centers are included in the same overall hospital quality ratings as the rest of American hospitals. And we're really proud of how we scored uh, compared to our counterparts. Yeah. How did you do? Give us the top line here. Absolutely. So VA medical centers overall scored at 67%, scored either four or five stars on this overall hospital quality rating out of five stars compared to less than half of our civilian sector counterparts. And that wasn't a surprise to us. Study after study over many years has shown that VA care is at least the same, if not better, in many areas. But for the first time, veterans can go to the CMS website and see us stacked against all of our civilian hospital counterparts. And we're really proud of how we did. I'm interested, though, in this statistics here because do you get a self-selecting sample of people who are going primarily to VA that may not go to Mass General or whatever? It's actually the same standard survey that anyone discharged from a hospital gets across the country. So it's really an unbiased sample because it's really every veteran who's hospitalized in our system and it's patients overall who are discharged from civilian hospitals taking the same survey. And what are some of the questions? What are some of the qualities of hospitals that are specifically in there? Absolutely. So one component of this rating has to do with patient experience. Again, those surveys that every veteran and civilian gets when they're discharged. It's also really critical hospital quality and patient safety metrics, things like infections that someone might get in a hospital, other measures of patient harm. It's also the degree to which we have to readmit veterans into our hospitals as well as in civilian hospitals uh, because their full set of concerns and conditions weren't fully addressed. And so there's other components, but the bottom line is it's the same rating that every hospital is assessed on in the country, and VA scores really well uh, when you compare us directly. Now, earlier you said this was the first time that VA facilities were included, so you don't really have a historic baseline yet of how you're doing over time. We don't, but we do have other assessments that have compared us to include peer-reviewed medical journal articles, real scientific comparisons between VA care and civilian care. And again, those overwhelmingly show that VA care is at least the same, if not better, in many areas. Were you able to identify if 67% said it was four out of five and so on? Are you able to tell almost like the FEVS scores for employees, which ones are good at the top of the game at VA within the VA system and which ones might need a little help? Yes, we can absolutely tell that. And Martinsburg VA is one example in our region right here at the National Capital Region, scoring five out of five stars. 67% of our medical centers score in one of the top two ratings. But of course, we do have three, two, and one-star medical centers as well. And for those places, we use this as an opportunity to continuously improve. That's the spirit by which we undertake all of our quality and patient safety efforts. And so we're going to be reaching out to those medical centers who need help in getting better while celebrating and encouraging those who scored well to continue scoring well. That's what veterans in this country deserve. And how fine-grained can you understand what it is they need to improve? For example, they could have a terrific intake and people feel great about checking in, but the surgeons aren't so good and somebody, you know, whatever, made a mistake versus, geez, this was really lousy coming in the front door, but my goodness, the doctors were great or the nurses were great. 
Yeah. Well, the rating, fortunately, is very comprehensive in all of its components. All of it is transparent. Anybody can go on the CMS website and look at the components. And of course, our teams across the country are doing the same to figure out exactly what they need to work on. So for example, in the patient experience category, we can break that down by the exact questions uh, that veterans answer to include cleanliness of the hospital environment, communication with nurses, communication with doctors, noise at night, do veterans get to sleep when they're hospitalized? And so so we can really hone in on what we need to improve, not just for the one to three star medical centers, but even the four and five star all have things to work on. And the spirit is, again, continuous improvement. And from your standpoint as chief of medicine, basically, you know, undersecretary for health within a given hospital or center, the functions have different channels. That is to say, the administrative function, the checking in and so forth, nursing, medicine. How do you get them to maybe integrate with one another such that that total experience seems integrated, at least from the patient standpoint. Absolutely. Uh, everybody has a part to play in making sure that we continuously improve on behalf of veterans. The accountability, of course, starts with our leaders, but where the leaders are continuously getting input and feedback and interacting directly with the front line, we see those hospitals perform better and better. And so, of course, how our teams integrate and perform and work well together has everything to do with how these ratings turn out. And the ratings, of course, are what people say. And when they fill out a survey, you must have internal metrics to know, you know, how long did the intake take? How many infections per 10,000 beds and this kind of thing? Can you correlate those findings with the metrics that the VA keeps internally? Absolutely. We have many things that we measure that are not necessarily included in the CMS ratings, uh, but the CMS ratings are also comprehensive. So it's not just the surveys that veterans take after they're hospitalized. These are also, you know, longstanding metrics that we've reported to CMS for some time and report to ourselves internally. And we use all of that data to improve care on behalf of veterans. But overall, you're pleased with how VA came out in this latest round of CMS studies. We are pleased with it, and we're trying to use it as an opportunity to gain the trust of more and more veterans, given a really important law that the president signed last year called the PACT Act, which allows us in particular to expand services and benefits to veterans exposed to toxic substances. And a really important deadline that I want every veteran to be aware of is September 30th of this year, just about a month from now, when a really critical enrollment opportunity will expire for veterans who are discharged from service uh, before October 1st, 2013 and served in one of the post-Gulf War or post-9-11 conflicts. So if you're a veteran who served in Central Command during that period of time, was discharged before October 1st, 2013, you have an opportunity to directly enroll in VA healthcare by going to va.gov PACT or calling 1-800-MY-VA-411. I know you had to get that in. And also the fact is that you have gotten about a million applications coming through the VBA side. Have they hit the hospitals yet? Have they hit the medical side yet? The ones that have been signing up for the PACT Act so far? They are. In fact, you mentioned more than 1 million claims have already been filed with our Veterans Benefits Administration, and we've enrolled more than 100,000 veterans in a population that we identified as soon as the law was signed, who we thought uh, could benefit and enroll in VA healthcare. This is a group of folks that were not enrolled in VA healthcare when the law was signed, and we've enrolled more than 130,000 of them in the year since it was signed. And so we're going to keep making sure we get the word out about the PACT Act, about the many new opportunities to enroll and try to get as many veterans as possible to go into the new doors into our system. And by the way, getting back to the survey, you probably can also gauge or view the quality, perceived quality of institutions nearby the VA medical centers that might be part of community care 
And that must be useful information to know, hey, well, you can go there too, but, you know, we're better or whatever. That's right. For the first time, because we're included in these CMS ratings, veterans can search by region, by city, wherever they live, and they can see the ratings for VA medical centers, but also civilian hospitals and do their own comparison. Dr. Sharif Elnahal is the Undersecretary for Health at the Veterans Health Administration. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to the survey at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage, it's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, 
And please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that. But I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of ALG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it. Okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right. And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on. Absolutely. Them. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces, when they're fighting for a cause and, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast a vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, de describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's, it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes, right? yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back 
and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother. You know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.